Hey everyone, it's Cappy here from Geek Girl Meetup UK and you're joining me for the new episode of Geek Girl Meets. As you know by now, we sit down with inspirational women in tech to find out about their careers in order to inspire you, our listener. Today, I am thrilled to say that I am joined by Holly Brockwell, who is the founder of Gadget, which if you haven't heard of, you should totally go and read immediately whilst also listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, Holly, thank you for joining me. That's okay. Good morning. So before I ask our usual first question, I think it would be great if you can tell everyone what is Gadget? Uh, well, Gadget is an online magazine for women who like technology, so we cover kind of gadgets and gaming and general geek culture stuff. It's written by women for women, and I think we're doing a really good job of filling the female space in tech media because it's very male-dominated at the moment and just really not very diverse. So, Gadget is doing amazing things, but if we go back to you being teenage Holly Brockwell, child Holly Brockwell... <laughs> What did you want to be when you were a little girl? What well, was your career choice? When I was really, really, really little, I wanted to be a florist, <laughs> which makes no sense. I don't really know why. I think it just came... My mum had some flowers and I arranged them. And I was kind of like, I'm really good at this. I should definitely do this as a career. So that was the plan for a few years. And then, weirdly, I was a bit of a weird kid. Like, I didn't really have any friends. And it's not surprising when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. But I was, I was kind of obsessed with starting a business. I had this idea that, you know, I was definitely going to be like a big superpower businesswoman one day and so I used to wear like business clothes when I was a child and there's pictures of me I look ridiculous there's pictures of me like at 14 years old basically wearing a trouser suit <laughs> it's, just, it's just like why I don't know I don't know why I thought that was a good idea it was in the middle of the 90s when like all of my friends were wearing pedal pushes and like lilac and various yeah. shades of pastel and I'm stood there in my business suit with like with with curtains in my hair because that was the style at the time and, uh, and I used to go to Halifax when I was a kid and just like and steal all their leaflets and just sit and fill them in like I, I was like I'm doing paperwork I thought it was really interesting but sadly when you get older you find out the paperwork is actually not very exciting yeah, yeah no yeah. one really likes the paperwork no it's good practice though well yeah I mean yeah I do run a business now so I suppose it's sort of panned out in a way yeah <laughs> Okay, so how do we go from 14-year-old Holly in, you know, looking, rocking the suited and booted look uh, to, to where you are now, which is founder of your own publication? Yeah, well, I'm considerably older now. I'm like, I'm 30 now, so I've, uh, I've grown up a bit. But in the meantime, I think I went, to, um, I went to university to do English language and linguistics, which is not at all what I planned to do. It's like, it's not really what I wanted, actually. Um, I wanted to be a software developer, I wanted to work in, um, in IT and kind of do something really cool on the development side. And I was going to do computer science, obviously, but um, I wasn't able to do it because my school had these weird rules about kind of what subjects you had to take to be allowed to take other subjects. And so to be able to do the computer science course that I wanted, I needed to, do, to have done a maths or science A-level. And I wasn't allowed to do a maths or science A-level at my school, even though I really wanted to do physics. Because um, I didn't do GC higher maths GCSE and I didn't do higher maths GCSE because I'd moved schools halfway through year nine and they wouldn't help me catch up and it was all just a bit, it was all just a bit of a mess really. So it was one big sort of daisy chain of things and you know you never know if it would have worked out like I would I might have been a rubbish developer. So <laughs> I don't know, but in the back of my head somewhere I'm always a bit like could have been minted by now. <laughs> 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 you know? So that didn't really work out. So then plan B was I was going to go into uh, I was going to go into law. So I was like, oh, my mum's always said I'd be a good lawyer on the basis that I'm good at arguing. <laughs> I spent most of my time arguing with her. And, uh, and so I was going to be a lawyer and I looked into that and then it so happened that at school they kind of said to us, you know, you girls are all kind of very used to, uh, to doing well because I went to quite a, a scary school full of scary people. And, um, and they said, so be aware that if you apply for law, a lot of you are not going to get in and, you know, you should be prepared for that. And I kind of thought, well, 
there's not really room for me at home if I stay here. Like, I can't really afford to not get into university. So I decided not to take the risk, which actually I think was a good decision in the end, even though I'm not really a very risk-averse person, because I think law would have would have killed me, really. Like, you end up married to the job, don't you? So I think, uh, I think the eventual path I went down was I, uh, I did English language and linguistics because... I really loved English language at school and um, I wanted to do something involving writing and I wanted to do, I think at the time I wanted to be a journalist but it didn't really pan out that way because when I went, when I got to university they kind of said to me well you have to, have, you know if you want to be a journalist you have to have been editor of the school, new, of the student newspaper and you know you have to have done this and that and I was working like I had to have a job to get myself through university so I just didn't have time for that on top of my studies as well. So I ended up going into advertising, which was kind of the other route that you could take if you'd done a, a writing degree and you were good at writing. So I ended up as an advertising copywriter for seven years. So I just <laughs> can't believe I'm this old. But um, yeah, I ended up doing um, lots and lots of advertising stuff. So I was kind of, uh, copywriting just means basically you're coming up with the words and the ideas for brands. So I was the voice of brands like uh, I did Epson, I did Apple, I did O2E, various, various tech brands. I was always the person kind of volunteering for for the tech brands because it was the most interesting stuff to me and also none of the other people in my super cool ad agency were <laughs> at all nerdy or technical so it helped me to be that person and uh, I really enjoyed it but it does get a bit wearing kind of writing as someone else and I kind of felt like after that time I wanted to write as myself and so the opportunity came up to be a reviews editor for a female tech site back then called Shiny Shiny which had been going for a while and I've been reading for years and years and years. So I was kind of like, well, I can get I can get paid to review phones. I like phones. So I got to do that for a while and then, and it went really well. And so they offered me the job of editor and I went and did that. And that was that was awesome. Yeah. So when did I you like go to Shiny Shiny? Shiny Shiny was like, I was like, it would be two years ago now. Yeah. Um, I was in Nottingham at the time, so I'd gone home to my hometown for a year because I missed my family. But I um, I moved back here for the job to become editor of that. And I, I just absolutely loved it. Like, I haven't looked back at all. But Shiny Shiny sadly isn't really going anymore, so uh, I had to do something to fill in. Yeah. And that's where Gadget comes in. Yay! Yay. It's the best so, in history. So how did you get the, the kind of the first idea for Gadget? You know, when was the kind of the light bulb on the head moment? Well, I think the original plan was I wanted to I wanted to stay at Shiny, I wanted to keep going with that, but it wasn't really an option. So I had to think about what I was gonna do instead. And I could have gone to work for one of the many, many other tech sites, which was an option and I considered it, but I still strongly feel that we need female voices in tech media and I don't think one person going to work at the big tech sites is enough to make a difference so I felt like it made more sense to do something myself and make something where I could give women writing jobs and have kind of female staff and make more of an impact that way and maybe start a bit of a conversation so that's how that ended up happening so originally I wanted to kind of um, carry on with shiny shiny and I've kind of talked to them about trying to take on the brand and stuff but it wasn't wasn't really going to work out so then plan b was oh well maybe i'll just start my own thing and you know when you kind of say these things you're like oh yeah I'd, I'd, if it doesn't work out i'll just start my own thing and really actually expected to do it and then, and then it ended up being that was kind of the only way so um but then i think once you've come up with the name for something you you kind of you stuck with it forever there's nothing you can do at that point you've already imagined it you've fallen in love with it it's too late so as soon as gadget came into my head i was kind of like I've got to do this now. Yeah. Yeah, this is happening. So just so kind of any anyone listening gets a rough idea, you know, you've set up a publication, so you're you're running a business and you're also <laughs> producing content. You're writing quite regularly yeah. and, and we, well, we all know from the tech world that you're consistently going to conferences and all <laughs> of these different things. There's a lot of kind of travel and, and you know, yes. meeting different people involved. What does the average day 
look like for oh, you at crazy. the moment if um, there is one if, yeah if it's all a bit it's all a bit all over the place at the moment I mean I feel a bit like I'm doing two jobs because obviously founding the company and kind of running the company is one thing and then being the editor is a different thing where you're kind of looking at what everyone's writing and commissioning things and coming up with content ideas for the future and obviously writing your own stuff I'm writing a lot less at the moment than I usually am although I would like to be because I've got too much to do on the business side which is a bit of a shame, but it has to it has to be done in order for there to be a business for me to be able to write in the future. So it makes sense. But um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff to do basically all the time. So, so it's kind of an evenings and weekends thing as well at the moment. So I could easily say, you know, my average Sunday is kind of writing stuff and listing stuff and, and ticking things off my to-do list. But the usual day, I mean, today is, a, is probably a good example. So I'm doing a podcast. I'm doing quite a lot of podcasts at the moment, I think. Uh, I've, got, I've got a bit fashionable. <laughs> You're on trend. Once you've done what everybody wants you to do, which is quite nice. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Also means I'm not original. Oh, no, I don't mean that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so there's that. And then I've got a couple of meetings today, so mostly about commercial stuff for the site. I'm hoping to finish a review I've been working on. And then it would just generally be, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but answering your emails takes like half the day sometimes. Oh, yeah. it's, just, it's just endless. There's so much stuff to think about. And, um, and I should probably talk to some of my colleagues as well. So obviously I'll be talking to um, our two employees, our writers, but also to my investor and our accountants and, uh, and lots of stuff like that to make sure everything's running smoothly and just put my mind at rest. I'm a bit of a warrior. And I think being a warrior who runs a business can be a bit self-imploding sometimes. <laughs> you just kind of go, ah, there's so much going on all the time. But it's a good thing. It means you're very conscientious. You make sure everything gets done. So that's, that's the upside. Yeah. But lots of worry. Yeah. Lots of worry. I can't, can't <laughs> emphasize that enough. If you think about starting the startup, lots of worry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, if you weren't worrying, I'd say you were doing something seriously wrong. I agree. I think it's a good sign. I think it's a sign that you care. Yeah. Which definitely. It's a good thing. It's what you want, really. Yeah. I mean, a carefree founder just does not sound like it should exist. No. I think it's like it's like having kids in the sense that I think before. I mean, I haven't had kids, so maybe I'm being a bit presumptuous here, but. Before you have kids, I think people think they know how hard it is, and then they do it and go, "Oh my god, it's so much harder than I thought it was going to be." And starting a startup to that like feels like that to me. Yeah, it's kind of like, "Oh, I thought I thought I knew what this was going to be like," and it is like that. But when it's relentless, when it's all of the time, it is it's harder than you think it's going to be. And there's um there's a really good bit in Ben Horowitz's book about starting startups called the hard the hard thing about hard things, and there's a chapter called the struggle, which is just it really spoke to me. That's how it feels. It's like yeah. The struggle. <laughs> it makes you feel better to know you're not the only one. <laughs> so, kind of shifting away from worry and struggle, let's go back to a, a positive here. I do love it. Yeah. I do love it. Well, this is what I was going to ask you. Obviously, you do love it. You're, you're completely passionate about what you do. You wouldn't be doing it if you weren't, right? Yes, definitely. Um, but what is the, the one thing, if you, ha- if you had to kind of pick one that you absolutely obsess and adore mm. that, about your job? That's hard. I mean, like you said, the traveling is, is it can be amazing. It's it's a lot of work, but it can be really incredible. Like I get to go to all the big tech trade shows and I'm such a nerd that I would want to go to them anyway, just kind of recreationally, yeah. you know. So I get to go to CES in Las Vegas in January and you see all the new stuff. It's absolutely inconceivably enormous. There's so much stuff. And you just walk around seeing all the coolest things, all these new startups and new products and things that haven't got an application yet, and just there's so much cool stuff. So you get to do that every January, and then in February you get to go to Mobile World Congress in Barcelona and see all the cool stuff. It's very similar, but just for phones, 
which I absolutely love because I'm obsessed with phones, particularly Android, a big Android fangirl. And then uh, and then September, you've got EFA in Berlin and you've got all these different events in the meantime and different conventions and stuff. I think that is super cool. I really, really enjoy going and meeting people who are making cool things and then being able to write about them in such a way that it makes them, you know, it gets them really excited. People send me really nice emails saying, oh, thanks so much for writing about my thing. I can't believe you said this about it. And they put your quotes on their websites in their adverts and stuff. And that's, I find that quite rewarding. I like, I like that a lot. Kind of skipping back to career and, and, you know, all of the different types of things that you're doing now day to day, what would your, your biggest piece of career advice be to someone who's maybe you know, thinking about where they want to go to university, what they want to do in their further career, or even just thinking about making some form of career change? I think I would say your instincts are usually good. I think people are very afraid to trust their instincts, but I think you're, you come with, as a human being, a set of really, really good parameters for what feels right to you and what doesn't. And I think everybody who's ever made a bad decision can tell you that they had an inkling at the beginning that it wasn't the right thing to do and they pushed ahead with it anyway, maybe because somebody told them to or because somebody else has done something similar or because they were a bit afraid to go for the other thing. But I think your instincts are always where they should be and I think you should listen to them definitely. And also, a lot of people will tell you a lot of different things. Like You can take advice and it's good to take advice, but only to a point. Ultimately, the decision is yours and you're the one who's got to live with it and you're the one who's got to actually live it for the next however many years. I think people are very keen to give advice, particularly advice that they wouldn't necessarily take themselves. Um, And everybody will tell you something different as well. So I think it's good to listen to people and take all of that in, but ultimately make the decision that you feel the most comfortable with because you're the person that's that's got to live it and live with it. Yeah, now that's really, really good advice. I've definitely had moments in my career where I've gone, oh, okay, do it, and then I'm yeah. aggressive. Not even in your career, in life. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a general life lesson, trust me. Absolutely, no, absolutely. You know, if it's, it's like if you feel unsafe for some reason, there's usually a reason for that. If yeah. you have gone to a job interview and you feel a bit like, I can't put my finger on why I don't feel right about this, but it just doesn't feel right, but I've got no rational reason to, so I'll go for it anyway, and then it doesn't pan out. You know, usually you have some kind of inclination towards which way you should go. And I think it's so important to listen to that. Okay, good tip. (laughs) Very good tip. Now, I'm going to get more onto the tech scene and startups briefly, because obviously (laughs) this is a huge area of interest for you and and me and listeners, (laughs) hopefully. Just like talking from a a trends perspective Mm. and what we're seeing kind of happen with new startups emerge, you know, if we want to talk more generally, we can say it's in virtual reality, augmented reality, Mm. a lot happening in artificial intelligence more and more. Um, Do you have kind of a a real kind of key area of interest at the moment where you're like, I just want to know all of the things? VR, definitely VR. Yeah. I'm obsessed at the moment. It's just, I just think it's incredible. It gets me way too excited. I've become a bit of a virtual reality evangelist, really, in the sense that I just keep going on about it to anyone that will listen, particularly people who haven't tried it, because I keep forgetting. It's very easy to forget when you're very ensconced in a tech bubble that most people haven't tried most technology and they don't necessarily know about most technology. So you kind of explain to people something that you've tried in VR and they go, what? (laughs) Really? And you can't get across how incredible it is and you kind of just want to take the headset off and put it on everyone you ever meet and just be like, just try it. Just trust me, just try this. And it's, it's so amazing. And I think it has so many exciting applications beyond I think everybody thinks of it as kind of a gaming thing. They're kind of like, well, I'm not really a gamer so I'm not really fussed about that. I'm like, well, number one, Gaming is one thing, but it's nothing like being in this other universe with a different body doing something entirely different that you could never imagine. You know, you could be a space ballerina, you could be anything you like, like it doesn't matter. 
And then number two, there's a load of stuff happening that's not to do with gaming, but I think it gets a lot less attention because people don't really know what to do with it. But if you think about kind of the applications for education and stuff, you know, yeah. these kids in a classroom can put a headset on and they can go into historical situations and they can do experiments and stuff. And you don't really need... You don't need as much equipment, and I guess at the moment you're probably only going to have one headset per <laughs> per classroom because they are pretty expensive. Could but be per school. Actually. Well, yeah, yeah, you're probably right, but yeah. it's it's so exciting in ways that's genuinely difficult to get across. But there's so much cool stuff happening, and I think it's kind of a a lot of people think it's going to be the end of humanity. I think virtual reality, but I think it's kind of a utopia, really, in the sense that you're not bound to your physical body anymore. And I think humanity for a really long time has been striving to achieve that because the physical body is very fallible. You know, you're stuck in this meat shell, really, that can that can easily break down. And, you know, if something happens to it, then there's not a lot you can do about it. You yeah. know, you've just got to hope that medical science can help you. But in a lot of cases, it can't. And I think in virtual reality, it doesn't matter what your body is. You know, you could be somebody who's been in a wheelchair all your life and you could be dancing pirouettes. You know, there's, there's so much cool stuff you can do there. And it doesn't matter as well who you are biologically. You know, if you're somebody who is one gender and identifies as another one, you can go into VR and you can be that person. It doesn't matter and no one's going to know any different. And I think that's amazing. I really genuinely think it's, it's an amazing thing for humanity. So I think a lot of people are imagining we're all going to sit at home and waste away on our headsets, you know, all shooting each other in VR. And I'm sure that will be the case. You know, lots of people are going are gonna to go in there and play their violent video games and all the rest of it as normal. But I think as well, there's going to be a lot of amazing ways that it can actually change society and, and it takes all the emphasis off the physical world. And I genuinely think that's a really good thing. Yeah. You, I have to ask this, have you ever read Ready Player One? I haven't, should I? Yes. Okay. I highly recommend it. So okay. um, I'll just do very quick synopsis, but essentially it's like, it is in the future and, you know, bad bad stuff happens. We'll call it <laughs> all the bad stuff. But everyone has um, basically like a, an Oculus Rift Ooh, type setup. Okay. It's even more insane than that, the different types of things you can have in order for you to become part of this virtual world and this virtual world isn't just a virtual world it's like a whole entire virtual galaxy within wow. a galaxy within a galaxy it's built up over time and there's loads of different planets and for anyone out there who might be basically i think a little bit like us and yeah. quite geeky <laughs> um there are so many throwbacks in this move in this book to films from the 80s awesome. different video games that you kind of grew up playing and just if if you want an idea of something that's fun and to a degree shows the good type of power of virtual reality. I highly, highly, highly recommend okay. the one. I am going to read that. And it's just so much fun. <laughs> it's yeah. really, really fun. So highly recommend it. And they're turning it into a film soon oh, cool. as well. So yeah, That's I, exciting. I definitely highly recommend reading it. Yeah. And if you're going to get into VR as well, I think it's important to make the distinction between the, there's a lot of cheap headsets on the market obviously because that's good you know it makes it accessible for everybody stuff like google cardboard where you can do it just with your phone and that is cool and it gives you a bit of a taste but i think it's important to note that it's a totally different experience when you get the proper high-end headsets and that's a totally different thing and if you can possibly try the oculus or the htc vive or playstation vr or any of the higher end ones definitely do because it will blow your mind okay now, when you were using these, you know, what's the? Have you come across a particular VR startup, not necessarily from the headset side of things, so not the hardware, but yeah. more on the kind of you know the software, the program, whatever it is that you're becoming a part of that that you 
kind of seeing. There are so many cool things. I think my favourite thing that I've tried in VR so far, I mean, the Portal game for HTC Vive is amazing. I mean, Portal's amazing anyway, but the fact that you're kind of fixing robots in virtual reality is super cool. But I think my favourite thing was Job Simulator, where it's kind of, it's set in the future in 2050, where jobs aren't really a thing anymore and humans don't really have to do that. And so it gives you, it takes you back in time and says, this is what it was like to be an office drone <laughs> in 2016. And you kind of, it's very Simpsons-y, it's very cartoony. So you're kind of walking around this office and, you know, you can pick up a mouldy donut in the rubbish bin and if you eat it, you start throwing up everywhere. <laughs> and, you know, it kind of, this little robot droid thing brings you a, a chest of people's CVs and you have to decide who to fire and stuff. <laughs> it's just ridiculously good fun. It's absolutely hilarious. I could stay there all day. Okay. And I it's full of office space references, which makes me happy. Okay, right. I definitely need to have a look at that and have a play. What are you reading or listening to at the most of the time? So, you know, what are you having a look at that kind of inspires you or gives you ideas for potential stories that you might want to write? Well, mostly books-wise at the moment, I'm reading tons and tons of stuff about startups which is not surprising. So as I say, I've just finished The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz, which is fascinating. It's one of those books where you just highlight stuff all the time. You can like, you want to screenshot everything and, and tweet it all the time. So that was really, really good. I think there's an excellent book I just read, which was called How to Live on 24 Hours a Day. And it's ancient. It's like 100 years old or something. And, uh, and it's brilliant because it starts talking about the the rent rises in Shepherd's Bush as a result of the tube. <laughs> so it's like, it's really, really old. But it's brilliant. And it's just this guy talking about how to budget your 24 hours a day as if it was money and kind of what you should do with it and how you should spend it and how you should be thinking about it. And he was kind of saying, you know, we've all got this 24 hours a day and you're always complaining that you don't have any time, you don't know where it goes. And he's like, well, you know, you go to work from this time to this time and let's say you spend an hour getting there and an hour getting back. Well, how do you account for these hours between getting home and going to bed? What are you doing with that time? You know, you should be spending an hour and a half, three times a week and learning a skill and the stuff you can do in that time is amazing. And it's just... It is a brilliant book, both in the sense that it's written in this incredibly posh kind of old-fashioned tone and it keeps referring to you as good sir and things like that, which I love. Good sir? What yeah. does have for an hour and a half lost during the transportation from one house to another? It's exactly like that. I love it. And also just in the sense that it's a really interesting way of thinking about time. It's kind of more like money. I really enjoyed that. So it's, like it's maybe not entirely relevant to, to now in some ways. Some of the, obviously, the cultural references are slightly off. And it's very clearly meant for men only. <laughs> so it repeatedly refers to you as a man. But um, I really, really enjoyed it. It was a good way of kind of sideways thinking about time. And then in terms of listening to stuff, I'm trying not to listen too much to podcasts and stuff at the moment because I have quite a lot of thinking to do all the time. And so I'm finding it quite useful just to listen to the same album on repeat for weeks, which is driving everybody around me completely bonkers. But it keeps your... It, it's just background noise that keeps your brain ticking over. I find yeah. that quite useful. What's and, the album? Oh, it's a Muse one. Oh, which, which one? <laughs> the newest one. Okay. Yeah. I still haven't listened to that, which is oh, terrible. Oh, so good. I was, I was a massive Muse fan growing up, so, it's I, yeah, so I need, good. To, need to get on that. Well, though. a lot of people kind of think they've, they've gone a bit wrong, but I really like the stuff they've been doing lately. That's just me. It's more like big riffs on this album, so... Ooh, okay. I've enjoyed it. And it's the usual, like, sixth form political dissent kind of lyrics like oh yeah red tape is the devil and drones are going to kill us all but it is quite entertaining <laughs> it's good music so keeps my brain taking over but I'm one of those people that always has their best ideas in the shower and I think that's really telling in the sense that it's the one time where you're away from all your screens and nothing can reach you really and it's just your brain working and I think that tells you a lot about how to get the best out of your brain, really. And so I'm trying to do that more in my work where I'm kind of, I'll sit with a paper, a notepad and, and kind of just music and not 
be distracted by anything and you do get better thinking done that way in a shorter time as well which is quite useful it's like the microwave of thinking <laughs> the microwave of thinking yeah. that's such a good way of summarising that awesome me and my strange analogies and what about people that have been an inspiration to mm. you so move away from books and reading and muse and their, their <laughs> sick form antsy lyrics Who, who's kind of been an inspiration whether it was someone when you were much younger or, or you know kind of now day to day now that you're actually running a business as well well I think when I was at school my English teacher Mrs Cooper she had a massive effect on me because she believed in me and I think it's quite a a powerful thing for somebody who doesn't really know who they are yet and what they're going to do yet and has really no idea what the future is going to look like for somebody to just say you know I, I've seen a lot of girls come through this school and, and you strike me as somebody who's going to do well and I think the stuff that you've done is really good and she said to me oh I think you're going to be editor of the Sunday Times one day and I just remember thinking at the time like that's impossible as if I could ever write something that anybody's going to read and how could you think this of me you know and it, it's always stuck with me because it was just amazing to think that somebody I mean when you're at school you think you're teaching teachers are absolute gods you know and it just amazed me to think that somebody of that caliber could think I was a decent enough writer that somebody would ever pay me for it <laughs> and uh, haven't made it as much as editor of the Sunday Times yet but you know she was a lot writer than I, I have been about the path that I've eventually taken so that was quite pressing of her I think to know that I was eventually going to be a journalist even though I didn't know that and in terms of career advice and things like that and the, the kind of path that I want to follow, I think Cindy Gallup is just amazing. She is my absolute woman crush. She's just incredible in everything that she's done. I mean, she founded the US arm of a massive advertising agency, which which cheers me up because sometimes I feel like the seven years I spent in advertising, I don't really know why I spent that long doing it. But to see that she's done it as well, albeit in a much bigger and more impressive way, is really encouraging for me. And then she's gone on to found some sex tech startups, which is a, an area that people don't really like to talk about. It's really interesting, I think, because people, everybody has sex, everybody thinks sex is interesting, but just the, on the tech side of it, they just don't want to talk about it, they don't want to touch it. It's, and it's taboo. It's really weird. Yeah. I find that really weird. It's just like, how do you think we all got here? <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to do a quick tangent, and then we're going to kind of come back to Cindy Gallup. But so um, we've, I've mentioned this on a couple of podcasts now. We are doing a sex tech event awesome. on the 21st of March at the Hoxton Hotel. Um, so anyone who is local to London, local to Shoreditch, and wants to come along, tickets are ten pounds. But uh, you know, for over eighteen year olds, that includes your drinks. Um, <laughs> and we'll have three speakers. And the whole idea is we're looking at how technology is ultimately changing and impacting human behavior whether it's our sexual behaviors or whether it's our romantic ones yeah so we've got uh robin who's one of the original founders uh of geek girl meetup oh. robin hexton oh so i she's love also, her she's yeah, brilliant founder of, of her which is the lesbian bisexual dating app we have hermione way amazing so she's now currently the uh, head of european comms for tinder uh, which if you don't know Tinder, you've been under a rock. <laughs> and we also have uh, Stephanie Alice, who is the Chief Pleasure Officer of Mystery Vibe. What a job title. I know, I know. I want to be a CPO, <laughs> not the product kind. Um, I, she, she is awesome. So a new startup that has created a kind of Internet of Things connected vibrator. Um, but there's a whole different level and this company is, is trying to be like the apple of pleasure. Wow. Yeah, so beautifully well crafted cool. hardware. Nice. Yes. Hardware is a good word for it. I know, it's perfect. <laughs> uh, so we've got that happening on the 21st. So so a slight tangent, but um, you know, one of our hopes with the event is we've got three awesome women talking about the tech, which is underlying a change in human behaviour. And yes, it is all connected to sex 
and there is no taboos and my mother is going to come amazing <laughs> wow your mum's cool yeah she's gonna be into for a shock anyway um, then, is anyone going to talk about sex with robots i think this is an important thing we need to think about we do need to think about this it's I gonna happen i think we might be able to bring it up in some some way i think it's important because i think at the moment the discussions that have been had about future sexual relationships between humans and robots which will happen that absolutely will happen they've all centered around men so, I mean, there's been loads of sort of sexy female companion robots and kind of films and TV and stuff, but no one really thinks about women. What about, you know, yeah. just straight women? Are they going to be male robots? Are they going to be bisexual robots, gay robots? Nobody thinks about this stuff. It's all very heteronormative, which I think is very strange, yeah, it is from, very a, strange. from the tech community. I think we which... need to take a stand here. I think so. We I think we need start... more inclusive sex robots. Yes. Come on. Okay. Sex robots for everybody. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> That's going to be my next startup. There we go. <laughs> Sex robots for everybody. Sex bots for everyone. There we go. No, going back to Cindy Gallup, it's probably, yeah. if, she, if she listens to this, I'm hoping she's just going to enjoy the little tangent that we've gone on. Cindy, we've got a great new idea for a business. Sex robots for everyone. Hell yes. Yeah. No, but she is amazing. I mean... If you haven't ever seen her TED talk on uh, on sex and the way that technology and the internet has changed sex, she talks a lot about young men and kind of how they've been influenced by pornography and stuff like that. And it is fascinating. It's my favourite TED talk of all time. And it's one of the most successful, I think. Mm. I, I would recommend that a hundred times over. And she's just brilliant. I mean, she has this flat in New York that's completely, it's called the Black Apartment and everything is black. And it's so cool that they filmed hip hop videos and stuff there. It's just it's insane. Everything about her life is amazing. And she's just, she's kind of an older lady who freely talks about sex and people really listen to her and she's so charismatic and she's so interesting. And they just think she's doing amazing things and she wears much bigger heels than I can manage as well, which, <laughs> which I'm also jealous of. I'm basically jealous of every aspect of her life and I think she's a goddess. Yeah. So we, we've both established that we have an <laughs> ultimate business woman crush on Cindy Gallup. Cindy is the best. Yeah, no, she's awesome. Everything she does. <laughs> You're in a proper role now, aren't I you? I know. You keep going. <laughs> so, uh, tell us, you know, how can people follow you, know what Gadget is up to, give, oh. us, give us the whole spiel? Well, probably the easiest way to find me is my Twitter handle, which is just at Holly. Uh, which results in me getting lots and lots of tweets that aren't meant for me. So yesterday, some I think he was a child, judging by his photo, was telling me that he would very much like to have sexual relations with me, which I think he meant Holly from Geordie Shore. Um. Uh, yeah, judging by the people he was also tweeting. And uh, and yeah, Holly Willoughby, I get a lot of tweets for her. Uh, usually people commenting on what she's wearing, or what she's talking about. So it's, it's been interesting. At Christmas, I got a lot of stuff about Holly and Ivy, and you know, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. So I get at a least, lot. Of... At least it's not as bad as the John Lewis guy. Yeah, I, I think, think he likes it though. He, he does it so well. Yeah, you Just would his... change your name otherwise. Yeah, would, yeah. yeah. The constant... I think he loves it. Thank you. I think you mean the department store <laughs> in the UK. It's like it's given some, given him something to do. He seems to really enjoy that. But yeah, so I get a lot of random stuff as well. But most of it's for me these days, which is nice. So that's probably the easiest way to find me. Gadget. Seems to be a difficult thing for people to both spell and pronounce, which was uh, which I've absolutely nailed it on the <laughs> on the naming there. I can look what it was. We get like gadget, we get gadgetty, all sorts of all sorts gadgets, gadgette. I don't know. It's really bizarre. I did a, an angry vine once where I was just like, "How is this so hard for you to pronounce?" Like it's it's not difficult. It's gadget. It's just gadget with T on the end. Anyway, so that's how you spell it. Gadget with T on the end. Gadget like courgette. It may, I think it makes sense. 